Hi, I'm Justin Hayat, and this is 36. The Lamed Vav Siddiquim is a tale built on the idea that out there in the universe, somewhere in the far corners of the world, there are 36 anonymous, really good people who hide in the shadows but step forward when we need them most. In 2020, somehow, I managed to get on a plane to Israel to find out more about these secret souls and hear their stories. This is my journey to find wonder and goodness in our once magical world. We set up our interview equipment in a ritzy Jerusalem hotel we didn't even stay at. Chutzpah, right? Well, it did look and smell really nice, and we wanted to impress our next guest. Within minutes, the hotel manager came over screaming and kicked us out. I didn't even think to mention who we were interviewing. Anyway, she's on her way. We need to find a new location. We pick a nearby coffee shop that only had seating outside. Outside. In June. In Jerusalem. And it was hot. Okay, we'll schwitz, and if she hates us, we won't use the interview. We promised a fancy hotel lobby, air conditioning, and an Israeli breakfast all the incubators of an awesome conversation. I was, as you can tell, a little stressed by the ordeal. But then Sivan arrived to our less than desirable coffee shop with a table outside sitting directly in the sunlight. No shade to be found. Not that she's a hippie with no worries in the world, but she was very chill and relaxed. Sivan Rahav Meir is one of a kind. And look, perhaps she doesn't live in the background. That was noticeable from the four people who stopped on a sunny Jerusalem morning to take a picture with her. She walks with a smile. She's dressed modestly, very modestly. I was in shorts and a t-shirt and very schwitzy. I wondered how she doesn't sweat. She's the only female Haredi newscaster in the entire country. In her work, she weaves Torah, Talmud, and Jewish values all together to make sense of the world pulsing around this country. Prior to the pandemic, Sivan went to the United States to teach at Yeshiva University, where she engaged up close with the diaspora. We sat down for coffee together. This is my conversation with Sivan Rahav Mayer. I'm sitting here with Sivan Rahav Mer. Thank you so much for joining me. Shalom, Justin. How are you? Good. Uh, hot, but good. I feel like there's too many titles to say what you do or who you are, but give me the pitch. Who are you? First of all, I think I'm a, I'm a mother of five, uh, the wife of Yedidia. We live here in Yerushalayim. And I try to combine, I would say, Judaism and journalism, especially in the last five years, finding new ways of combining Jews in Israel and abroad, Journalism and Judaism, new media and old text. That's basically what, what I try to do. So yeah, I work for Channel 12 in Israel. I work for the Yotacharonot. It's the biggest daily magazine, newspaper in Israel. And for Galate Sahal, it's popular radio station. And we all work for free for, for Zuckerberg, basically. You know, I, I do social media, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, everything. So on the side, you're a journalist, but above all of this, you have this broader mission. I think it's journalism today. I mean, today journalists should search for their niche because just objective journalism, you know, the the facts, people don't care about them anymore and they get it anyway. In the past, I used to go to the Supreme Court and tell people, okay, what happened today? I went to a demonstration or to the Knesset, you know, our parliament, in order to tell people what happened there. Now they know it 
before I even tweet, the information is there. So you don't need me anymore as a journalist for the information. I think you need me for the broader or deeper context, you know, what's to speak about the past and the future and to combine all those details into something meaningful. So I think that's, that's my niche. I, I think journalists today should like invent themselves because uh, things are changing rapidly. I think it's interesting to do that in general, but it's very interesting to do that from Yerushalayim in the Jewish state. Tell me about that challenge and tell me about like who the reach is, right? I think the location means so much. You know, for people, I write a daily message every day and we translate it into uh, 13 different languages. People like the fact that it's from Yerushalayim. I think the brand Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, is even stronger than the brand Israel. Because when you say Israel, sometimes people think about, I don't know, negative things they think about Israel, BDS, occupation. Uh, okay, it's not my opinion, but... And Yerushalayim, in a way, it's higher. And people like it. You know, I saw it during the, you know, the pandemic. I had so many Zoom lectures with communities. And the most exciting moment was when I just opened the window and it just showed them Yerushalayim. I live in a regular neighborhood. All they saw was like the pavement. That's it, nothing. I mean, the building in front of us. But they, they were so excited just to see Yerushalayim, you know, live because they couldn't come. The gates are locked now. You can fly to Israel. And I understood what it means for them, this connection to Yerushalayim. I mean, uh, sometimes when you don't have something, you learn to appreciate it. Now I understand how much our brothers and sisters abroad, how, how connected they are to Israel. So you, you went to America with your family, your husband, for a year uprooted them to uh, a place called the Five Towns. And you're there as a religious family in a religious town. What was it like the first time you went to the supermarket to prepare for Shabbat? I'll tell you what happened, what really happened. The first time I went before Shabbat, it was Thursday, I think, maybe Tuesday, I went to Lexington Avenue on my way to Stern College. I worked at YU, Yeshiva University. I was really nervous before my first lecture, my first meeting at YU. And I, there was a person there selling like fresh orange juice. So I asked him to buy one cup of squeezed oranges. I thought it's the right thing to do before I enter the, the building. And I said, a small cup, please. And he gives me the biggest cup you can imagine, okay? And I'm like, no, I asked for a small one. And he says, that's small, lady. That's medium. He shows me a bigger thing in, with his hand. And that's large. Welcome to America. Now, for <laughs> me, <laughs> for me, small is, is really small in Israel. What you call small in America, that's huge. That's, I mean, for me, it was like, What's, that was the first lesson, you know, understanding everything here is huge, much more than you need when you buy things. It's like everything is huge, but the houses and the basements. And so that was the first surprise. And afterwards, definitely supermarkets. I liked the bubble I discovered. There's a beautiful Jewish bubble of like Orthodox, engaged, devoted Jews. That's very nice. But it took me like two months to understand, to realize I'm not there for them. I mean, it's, it's like wasting my time speaking just to those who, who are already inside this bubble. So I changed the equation after two, three months. But yeah, I definitely met great communities and you build an empire there. It's an empire of Jewish identity. What's harder, explaining Israel to American Jews or explaining American Jews to Israelis? Oh. <laughs> I worked hard on the first mission and because we lived there for a year and people were really curious, you know. I think the nuances, you know, the, the small, the tiny differences. Israel is democracy, America is democracy, we speak English, what's the difference, you know? No. I, I mean, they're more like polite. I remember, okay, one of my colleagues, a famous professor, why you? I, I remember I emailed him something and I felt something is weird, you know. I just wrote, Shalom, professor. Uh, what do you say about X, Y, Z? Thank you, Sivan. That's it. And I sent it to an American friend of mine. I asked her, I feel something here is wrong. You know, the replies. Did I do something wrong? And she said, yeah, 
you have 10 words here. I will translate it from English to American English. Dear professor, thank you very much for letting me be a part of your group this year. Uh, looking forward to meeting you next year. Thank you in advance for doing this and this and that. And she said, it's okay. I just wanted to follow up. Yeah, exactly. about I just wanted to ask you something small about X, Y. And that was like, boom. Israelis, you know, there's a word, dugri. It's a slang word. We straight to the point. And I realized, no, you need those manners, you know. And that's New York. Imagine they would send me to London, okay? I'm just, but it's nice, you know, you get used to it. And when we came back, I started missing it, you know? <laughs> Why don't you just say, good morning, how are you? Looking forward, like, like meeting you, thank you in advance. And then you ask me what you really want. Very transactional. Now, exactly, boom. You want it, you get it. And that was like just one example, you know? And then I think in many things, we should learn more about the tiny nuances, you know, cultural differences. And I liked the American, I would say, Orthodox style. I think they created a new type of Haredi American Jew. And you don't find it in Israel. I mean, in Israel, you have to be Dati Lumi, what we call religious, yeah. knitted kippah, or black kippah, Haredi, ultra-Orthodox. And their type of, it's, it's something you don't find here. It's something in between, but... The Tinek kind of Jew. You yeah, don't find yeah, that. Yeah, I liked it. I think that it's healthy and we need that model in Israel. This style of Jews should make Aliyah. We should learn from them. They are. Yeah, they're coming. I, I, but they tell me we must choose now. Are we Bnei Akiva or Bet Yaakov? Meaning the two types of Bnei Akiva. It's the youth movement of like the religious Zionist or Bet Yaakov. It's the stream of the Haredi people. It, like there's no place in between for them, I, I hope. Yeah. Now they're building communities in Bet Shemesh and other places. But uh, I think they can teach us. They shouldn't just become Israelis. We can become more Americans in this area. Something that I think, it's just such a simple change, and I want to make the pitch to many people in the States. They are funding so many books, both Hebrew literature and American Jewish, English literature, etc. But there's only like one or two authors who are actually translating their books in both languages. So then you have people living in totally different worlds and nothing to connect them. And they're reading totally different books, living very different realities. And yet we are expecting these people to connect. And more than that, we are shocked when they don't. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. First of all, I think we should just be aware, know each other, know, know about the problems and the challenges. I'll give you one example. I never heard about the problem of tuition before I went to the state. Now, that's the main problem. Kids do not get Jewish education because it's way too expensive. I think it's not, in a way, it's not Jewish. It's not moral, you know. Why should I pay I mean, so much in order to just get the basic fundamental values of my religion? It's, it's crazy. When you live there, when you speak to people, you hear about their anti-Semitism. I never felt something like it. I live here in Israel, seven generations, by the way. We're wow. seven, yeah, Baruch Hashem, native Israelis. Now, anti-Semitism is something that belongs, I don't know, it's, it's part of history, it's part of the Holocaust, anti-Semitism. Now, in the States, you know, we were there while uh, everything has happened in Jersey City and Muncie, you know, terror attacks. And when you're there, you really feel it and you're much more connected to your brothers and sisters there. So I tried to like translate that experience and share it with the Israelis. But I also tried to translate the Israeli experiences and, you know, teach Americans about it. It was really fun, but also quite a challenging year, you know. You mentioned books earlier. We are the people of the book. And I do believe Torah, you know, the basic text. We read it every week, the parsha, the weekly portion we read. That should be our mutual pulse. Now, you can have your commentators and you can read it creatively and do whatever you want. But I believe we also have that pulse you're looking for. You know, you said that you kind of stepped out of your the five towns archetype bubble and into American Jewry. Memphis, Dallas, definitely. <laughs> Memphis, wow. Great community, small, tiny community. I realize the community, those who invite me, 
they don't really need me. It's like a paradox because those who want me to come, it's very nice. I want to meet them. I want to hear from them. It was really, you know, Boca Raton Synagogue. That's an empire. It was great being there. Or Teaneck. Beautiful, beautiful. Or, you know, Pico Street in L.A. You have so many shuls and communities there, and we've, I visited many of them. It's great. But I wanted to reach those who, you know, who do not know me, and they don't want to hear. So we started working with many... By the way, Mizrahi Movement sent me, World Mizrahi Movement, led by Rabbi Doron Perez. They sent us to the States. And they also agreed we should try to reach, I mean, Jews who are far away, you know, with, uh, reaching out to them. So we started working with the IAC, the Israel-American Council, and Hillel, and Chabad, and CSY, OU, reaching, I think, Jews who are not so engaged because there's a huge group of unaffiliated Jews, you know, that they're just not connected and they become the main sector, but they're just not a sector, they're not organized. So, yeah, speaking to them, for example, speaking to schools in Memphis, this community, or in one of the campuses, I remember the organizer told me, just imagine it's the only time they heard someone, the first time, and maybe the last one, they'll hear someone from Israel, and maybe the last one they'll hear a religious woman speaking to them. So everything together, now you have 45 minutes with them, go. And that's, whoa, whoa, okay. What do I tell them? I guess the majority there will walk away. They will not continue, I don't know, uh, our heritage. Maybe, I hope, I hope, I pray they w- will. But So that's quite a challenge, you know, speaking to those who do not understand Ivri, they don't come here every summer, they're not connected. I think that's the main goal. And I try to do it through Zoom. I mean, we, although COVID ruined everything in the middle, I still try to continue in this path, this direction. Where were you most concerned and shocked about what you saw in America, both within the Jewish context and the broader context? And where were you the most hopeful within both Jewish and broader context? I'll start with the positive part of the question. Every time I enter the school, I mean, I mentioned the word tuition earlier, but it also creates great educational system. Yeah, it's private. Yeah, it's expensive. But people pay for what they really want and they care about it. And I saw great schools, creative places, great teachers. In Israel, it's for free. So, yeah, it's for free. You know, it's, it's, uh, and you have. You don't have to fight for it. Exactly. Yeah, it's there. And there you build buildings and you bring the best teachers and you find creative ways of teaching halacha and Tanakh and the connection to Israel. You know, I met DRS and the girls part of, of DRS in, in New York and Yula in LA, the boys and the girls, Hillel in LA, all kinds of seminars, like more Haredi seminars, and you open schools all the time. You see new institutions. I loved it, and I think we, much, once again we can learn from that devotion, you know, creating. It's like there's a competition, and if there's a competition, you should be the best, and that's good. Uh, the, the worst thing I saw was conflicts and disputes inside small communities. Instead of going out, you know, reaching out to Jews who do not know it's Shabbat today, they don't know it's Pesach in two days, they fight and they waste so much time and energy and money on like, no, he's too liberal. No, he's to the right. He's to the left. No, he's not. For, you can waste your whole life inside this chulant, you know, inside this bubble. Identity is important and you should find your own sector, your own definition. It's okay. But why wasting you know, your whole life on those issues inside the Jewish Babel, you know, Orthodox people can fight forever about their inside Orthodoxy instead of if you just choose one unaffiliated Jew, each family will just pick another family. And they want it, by the way, every time I spoke to Jews who are not affiliated, they want to be more connected. They want to learn. They want to know, you know. I once met a professor, you know, I, I taught him the letter Bet because he already knew Aleph, but that's all he knew. Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. That's all he knew. I showed him how do you write bet. So I doubled his Jewish knowledge, you know, in, in, in a second. 
who will teach him Gimel? You know, if you're so busy, that's the third letter. If you're so busy fighting inside our, you know, small bubble. So yeah, I try to speak about it every time. I said to communities, go out there. I mean, don't just focus on your small, you know, disputes. There was a report that said in 2019, more American Jews were murdered in terror attacks than Israelis. Not to say that we expect people in Israel to die, but America is the place where American Jews have arrived, where they're secure, where they're prosperous, and, you know, uh, who would ever go after them? Exactly, right? the Whereas American here, dream, yeah. Yeah, and here, you know what you're living next to, and it rears its ugly head. Here, I mean, we know who the neighbors are, okay? We're not surprised. We understand the neighborhood. Yeah, it was shocking. I remember covering Jersey City terror attack and Muncie terror attack. It was shocking for people to have holy people of themselves. You know, after someone is killed, like in a terror attack, you say, Hashem ikom demo. You don't just say of blessed memory. There's like something, Hashem will revenge. I mean, it's like a type of thing you say about those who passed away in such a horrible way because they represent us. Those terrorists, they weren't looking for them specifically. They were after them because they were Jews, generally. So they're part of us. It's like part of me. I mean, they were there instead of me. It was, for me, shocking, and people started asking hard questions about it. You know, what does it mean? It's, if it's not the promised land, so maybe there is another promised land. I remember by Ephraim Goldberg from BRS, Boca Raton, he said it makes people more active as Jews. He said people suddenly, they want a mezuzah in the dorms, you know, in, on campus. They invited him to put a mezuzah at the entrance to the room, or people go with all kinds of things that identify them as Jews, and, and it could be a kippah or other tzitzit. So he said sometimes it reminds us of, of who we are. Yeah. On the other end, in the certain aspects of even American Jewry, there was a tweet from someone who, he worked in the Biden campaign. He was the head of Jewish outreach. And he had this tweet, and I'm paraphrasing it. He was basically like, if you don't feel safe, and if it's not safe, just don't wear a kippah. And so there are factions who uh-huh. say the opposite. Yeah, it's an, it's an American failure. I mean, if you can't go with a kippah in America, it's, it's an American problem. It's not a Jewish problem. It's an American problem. By the way, it always starts with the Jews. But if you don't want to live in a society, I don't want to live in a society where a Muslim can't feel free and protected on the street. It's my responsibility. Yeah. If there are problems here in Israel, so regarding Arabs, it's, it's my problem. We should create a better society. Most of the cases, by the way, also in Israel, it's, it's the violence is from the Arab side. But sometimes there are Jews, they do it. It's ugly. And it's we should take care of it. So... It's an American problem, but no, I, I don't think that's the right solution. No, no. I want to just pivot to you, right? Because, you know, you are a very well-known newscaster here. You're also like an Orthodox woman. You're probably the most famous Orthodox woman newscaster in Israel. But there are probably many parts of perhaps even your community or other, you know, far more religious communities who do not think you should be doing what you're doing. So that's really surprising. First of all, I grew up in a secular family, so I became religious when I was like 15, 16. So it's not like I grew up in the closest community of Mesharim, for example, and wow, I discovered the world outside. By the way, all, even in those small, close communities, and I'm not, you know, part of them, they like what I do. I mean, they like the fact they have, they have someone like me out there. I never heard, really, I heard millions of questions about how, what do they say, you know? But they never said anything. It's, it's fascinating. People, really? you have this assumption they don't want me to be there, but no, they don't. They don't really care. Now, maybe if I grew up once again there, so they wouldn't, didn't like it. You know, the fact I left everything and uh, went to work on TV, but I didn't leave anything. I just added Torah into my life, so maybe it's easier for them. Have you ever seen like goodness in the world? 
goodness or godness? <laughs> both. Answer both. Ah, and look around you. We're sitting in the middle <laughs> of Yerushalayim. After 2,000 years, we came back. Look, we're building something, you know, from scratch together. Yeah, I see it every day. Where, yeah, all the time. Um, they say, you know, on the news, there's a sentence. That you say that every evening at 8, they tell you, good evening. But they, then they prove to you for an hour why it's not a good one. Yeah, Erev Tov in Hebrew. <laughs> uh, good evening, bad, bad, bad. So no, it's not my uh, paradigm. No, no, I work, uh, I definitely see and I try to expose it and to share it with others all the time. Because many journalists in this country, I mean, journalism, I think, was just named the least respected field in Israel by the Israeli public next to politicians. <laughs> yeah, journalists and politicians, I think they should blame each other. I mean, politicians are not as bad as they're covered. I mean, journalists always cover the bad things politicians do. I know many from all the different parties in Israel, you know, left, right, religious, non-religious, Jews, Arabs. They're good. They represent their public in a good way. And also journalists, I, I think it's easy today for people because, Bo Hashem, now we have, thank God, we have new media. For the first time, they let us speak, you know. I, we were passive for years, we, the citizens. We just saw people on TV. And now it changed. I mean, for the first time, we can speak. So, yeah, journalism are attacked, unfortunately, now. But I think it will be balanced. By the way, everyone, you're listening to us. You are also a journalist today. It's not something so unique. I mean, if you have, you, you record, you post, you share, you take pictures, you text, you edit text. I mean, we all became journalists, I think. There's no real difference. I mean, we all, you know, share public content. How do you stay so positive? It's not so hard. I look at my, you know, my family, my kids, the story of Israel, the Jews abroad that now are, you know, they became the center of my attention. I look at the news, you know, what's really going on, not just politics, look at Israel, the state of Israel, Judaism, how it's built. Sometimes all you need is perspective, you know, for proportions. The year 67, okay, here in Israel, the year 73, the year 48, or before 48, the Holocaust. My grandmother is a Holocaust survivor. I mean, why? why I guess they complained less and, and their situation was much worse. So, I mean, okay, uh, but uh, we like complaining every week on the, in the Parsha, I find it every week. I think it's in our genes, the DNA. I mean, it's, it's, we like complaining about the reality. Even while the sea was slipped, I mean, why we went out of Egypt and we saw redemption in our own eyes, we were still complaining. So it's, yeah, it's part of our nature. But one last question. We're asking everyone, like, what is one verse or line of Torah, Talmud, something that sits within you that, like, you maybe don't even say, but that... When you need it, when you're driving to the studio and you're just having a bad day or when you're reading the news and it's awful or when you're looking and searching for that goodness that you exude, what do you hang on to to keep it going? I guess there's, um, there's something we say when we go to sleep. We say Kriyat Shema. It's like Shema Israel. Uh, it's, it's a text you say every day before you go to sleep. It's like a small, tiny Yom Kippur. There's Yom Kippur once a year, Yom Kippur, the day of repentance and you're rethinking about yourself and you know retrospect everything that's like the holiest day but there's like a small ceremony of like it's a tiny Yom Kippur before you go to sleep it's like you look back at the day you had one of the verses is uh, may the angel who redeems me from all harm may he blesses the youth and may they be called by my name. Yaakov says it to, to his son, Avraham, and my, the names of my fathers, Avraham and Yitzchak. And may they multiply abundantly like fish in the midst of the land. That's the translation. 
I think this blessing Yaakov gives to Ephraim and Menashe, his grandsons, he gives it, he says it in Egypt before they go to the longest exile, you know, diaspora all over the world. He knows we're doomed in a way to go through those challenges, you know, obstacles. He sees everything. I mean, and before he passed away, he told his grandson, remember Avraham and Yitzchak, wherever you go, people will look at you and say, oh, people say, okay, these are the sons, the name of, yeah, Avraham and Yitzchak. People will recognize Avraham Avinu when they will look at us. Wow, when they look at us here sitting now, that's quite a task, quite a challenge. But I think he knew what, what he meant. He said, don't con be confused. I mean, you'll see everything. Each culture will be tempting and interesting, and you will live in Spain and Persia and everywhere. I mean, think about it, Morocco, Russia, from Paris to uh, New York and London and, and Syria. Wherever you go, always people will look at you and will remember Avraham Avinu. That's quite a blessing, quite a bracha. Bezrat Hashem, may it be part of our life too. L'chaim, thank you so much. Amen, toda rava, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Ivan Rahav Meir. They can follow you on Instagram, Facebook, and whatever else Mark Zuckerberg creates between now and then. Yeah, also on the street. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for the project. Toda rava. There's something different about this conversation, I thought to myself. I couldn't really describe it. Imagine, if we did this over Zoom, we wouldn't have been kicked out of the Ritzy Hotel. I wouldn't be schwitzing. And we wouldn't have seen the now seven people who stopped Sivan, some during our interview, to take a picture of her or with her. We wouldn't have had coffee together. We wouldn't have breathed in together the fresh air of Jerusalem. And frankly, I doubt that we would have laughed, at least genuinely. I'm a bit amazed by people like her. She doesn't focus on the fact that she's a Haredi woman in news. And not only that, she just does her job in a magical way that only she uniquely can do. She does what she says Hashem put her on this earth to do. For her, that's enough. She doesn't belabor the journey or the perseverance that got her there. Instead, she continues on the path, a path that can't be laid by a human or derailed by an angry hotel manager or by anyone. It can only be walked by us. Thanks for joining me on 36. This podcast is hosted by me, Justin Hayat. Our managing producer is Sarah Shemla. Our executive producer is Attila Samfalvi, and our editor is Robert Scarmuccia. This is a production of Soul Shop and sponsored by B'nai Zain. Please rate and review this podcast in your podcast app of choice and share it with your friends, your butcher, and your shadchan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon. <laughs>